Hey, Summit PM crew, how we doing? Good. I'm loving my front row friends right here. Um, I think that's alliteration, so thanks for sitting on the front row. Um, so, like Brian said, my name is Corbin, and I'm one of the church planting residents here. And uh, honestly, as he said that I would be sent out in about a month, uh, my heart kind of sank to the floor. That's really scary to me, um, but also really exciting. We love you guys. We're excited about multiplying for Jesus's fame here in the city, planting a new church uh, called the Heights Church over off of like Colorado Boulevard, Colfax area. And so we're really excited about that, really thankful for the Summit Church and how you guys have loved us and helped prop us up to be able to do that well. Um, Now, as we turn our attention to uh, Mark chapter 13, you can kind of think about jumping into Mark chapter 13, like jumping into a two-week mini-series on Jesus and the future, or Jesus talking about the future and teaching us how to endure life here in the present. And I'm going to teach the first 13 verses of this chapter this week, and then Pastor Andy's going to come back next week and teach the rest of Mark chapter 13. So that's kind of where we're at, where we're going kind of thing. Now, as Brian read this text, you probably were thinking, if you were anything like me, what in the world is going on here? But I want to argue that Jesus has one goal in mind for us in Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 13, and that is this. He desires tonight to build endurance into us as we follow him here in the city. He is zeroed in on building up our endurance as we go out of this place into the nooks and crannies of Denver and live public, faithful, distinctly Christian lives. And here's why he's about this. Because Denver, our city, the place that we live and we work and we play and we're neighbor and where we love our neighbors well, like it's a city where it's hard to be a follower of Jesus. It's just not easy to be a Christian here. And so Jesus, because he loves us and he wants to help us follow him well, he's going to speak into how hard it is tonight. And the hope is that he's going to build up some endurance in us so that we can leave this place and follow him faithfully, enduring the trials of just life with him in a secular city like Denver. And here's what we know is unique about endurance. Here's what we know is unique about endurance. It is impossible to endure any kind of race without the proper focus. It's impossible to endure any kind of race without the proper focus. Let me give you an example so you can track with me. We live in like a hyper, um, hyper fit city, right? Like if you're not trail running a 14er every weekend, you're kind of lazy and obese and out of shape. Like that's kind of the vibe that our city gives us, right? And this, is the vi- this vibe makes me feel guilty sometimes when I've gone a little bit of time without like being physically active, working out a little bit. And a lot of times, here's what happens in my life. Like I start to feel guilty, right? And I say, okay, Monday's coming. Monday's my day, right? And I'm like, okay, Monday, I'm going to run three miles. But if I start running those three miles on Monday without the proper focus or like an end goal or my eyes set on something that I'm working towards, what's going to happen? I'm going to quit on Tuesday. Can I get a witness? Does, any, is anybody, does anybody resonate with that? Like I can't tell you how many Tuesdays I've quit on. 
And what Jesus is going to do in this passage is he's going to function kind of like an eye doctor. And he's going to focus our eyes on the proper thing. And as he focuses our eyes on the proper thing, it's going to help us endure life in the present. Okay, so you have this picture of an eye doctor pulling that giant thing over in front of your face and like saying, hey, can you look at the cue on the eye chart? And he's like, he like clicks these little things. Who knows what he's actually doing? He's clicking these little things saying, can you see better now? Can you see better now? Can you see better now? And he brings that cue into focus. And here's what Jesus is going to do tonight. He's going to set our eyes or set our focus on three different things that are going to help us endure as public, faithful Christians here in the city of Denver. He desires to build our endurance. So you guys ready to jump into the text? Ready to do it together? All right, let's do it together. Thank you for that whoop. Um, number one, in verses one and two, we see this. Jesus focuses our eyes onto the future. Jesus focuses our eyes onto the future. Look at verse one with me. And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Okay, stop right there. The first thing that you need to notice that's happening in this text is Jesus leaving the temple. This is representative of him walking away from first century Judaism, from the Jewish religious system of his day. And in many ways, in the story of the gospel of Mark, he is walking away from the Jewish religious system of his day, and he's setting his face towards a cross. Jesus says, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm setting my face towards the cross. And as this dramatic moment plays itself out, you have the dumb disciple that goes like, that says this, hey Jesus, stop right here. I know this is really dramatic as you're like walking away from the temple. Stop right here. Do you see how amazing this building is? Like, do you see how amazing this thing is? And it's kind of like the YouTube video of like, would you just look at it, right? I don't know if you guys have seen that YouTube video. Would you just look at the temple, right? Like that's what's going on here. And he was right to be amazed. I mean, we would have been amazed too. You have to remember that this is the first century. And the temple, uh, Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, tells us that the temple was made up of blocks that weighed one million pounds apiece. I mean, this is the first century. They're moving million pound blocks to, to build this structure. Josephus also tells us that it would take three grown men with arms stretched out to, to uh, envelop, I don't know if that's the right word, envelop one of the columns of the temple. I mean, this was a massive and impressive and shocking structure. But here's what we see in verse two. Jesus's response to the disciple saying, Jesus, would you just look at this? is just as shocking as the temple itself. Look at what Jesus says in verse two. He says this, and Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And the disciples probably like, oh gosh, (laughs) you can just imagine, right? Now this verse is a really important verse because it kind of stands as the entry point into the rest of, of chapter 13. That is, if you don't, if we don't understand what's going on in this verse, we can't really understand the rest of what Jesus is going to do in chapter 13. So I want to tell you what Jesus is doing, and then I want to explain to you how he's doing. Here's essentially what Jesus is doing. In this verse, Jesus is taking our eyes 
and lifting them up off of our present situation and directing them to the future. That's essentially what's going on here. Now let me show you how Jesus does this. This disciple basically says, look how amazing this building is. And Jesus says, hey, you know, I know this is amazing, but all of this is going to be gone soon. And here's essentially what Jesus is doing. He's doing two things. He's prophetically speaking to the historic reality that about 40 years later, in the year 70 AD, the Roman general Titus would come into Jerusalem and just level Jerusalem. And along with that, he would level the temple. And so about 40 years later, like the very thing that Jesus said would happen here happens. But there's more going on here than this. And here's how. Because first century Jews, like this disciple that Jesus is talking to, would have associated the destruction of the temple with the coming of God's rule and reign on the earth. Let me say that in a different way. First century Jews, like this disciple, would have associated the destruction of the temple with God's kingdom fully coming on the earth. You see, Jesus was pointing this disciple in a subtle and a little bit confusing way to us to a future day that was coming when God's presence would no longer be confined to a temple, but God's presence would go global. He's pointing the disciple and in turn us to a future day when God was going to make all things new as he defeated Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. Like that's what's going on here. Last week, um, I, this kind of was making more sense to me as I was thinking about the story of like what the stupid thing that I was doing last week. Last week, my wife and I were on vacation in Florida, okay? And we were sitting out on the balcony of our condo. We were kind of in the Destin area of Florida. And our bal- the balcony of our condo overlooked this lake. And the, it was, kind of had this lake where the lake fed into the ocean. It was just like this beautiful scene. And one evening I was sitting out on that balcony and um, I found myself doing the stupidest thing that you could imagine as the sun was setting in front of me. Like there was this beautiful sunset out in front of me. And here's what I was doing. I had my phone like this staring at Instagram. Like this is what I was doing while this beautiful sunset is taking place. And like I just felt like I put my phone down and I was like, what am I Doing. And in many ways, this disciple, and I think we're a lot more like this disciple than what we want to give ourselves credit for, we get caught staring at the Instagram of our present moment when Jesus wants us to put the phone down and see the beauty of the future that God has set before us. This is what Jesus is doing. He's lifting our eyes, saying, guys, don't be as focused on the present moment Lift your eyes to what God is doing in the world. There's a day coming when God is going to make all things new. He's going to restore justice and peace on the earth as he defeats Satan's sin, hell, and death forever. This day is coming. And here's why it's important for us to have our eyes focused on that day. Because future hope always fuels present endurance. Future hope always fuels present endurance. Let me just give you an example. You think about a race, right? And you say, okay, like I desire to finish this marathon. So what does that mean for you? You will wake up at five in the morning and run on rainy, cold days. Future hope 
future realities, the hope of something better in the future, fuels present endurance. You know about this at work too. You've got vacation coming in four weeks. And you're like, okay, I can endure the crappy work life because I have this future hope coming of vacation, right? Future hope always fuels our present endurance. And here's what Jesus is trying to do. He's saying, hey, life following me is going to be hard. Lift up your eyes to the beauty of what God is doing in the future and allow it to pour into the present and fuel endurance in the present. And so the question here is, really practical question, where are your eyes at? Are they fixed on the present or are they up focused on the future? Jesus wants to lift our eyes up to the future reality of what he is doing in the world. So Jesus points us to the future and then in the introduction to chapter 13 and then he makes this big transition. It's kind of like, here's how you can um, imagine this transition in your mind. You can kind of imagine it like Jesus throwing a boomerang, okay? Now I know Jesus is an Australian and this is kind of weird, but it's kind of like Jesus throwing a boomerang. He kind of throws us out into the future only to bring it back to teach us about how to endure in the present. So he sets our minds on the future and he's like, okay, have your minds there, but now I want to teach you. I'm going to bring you back to reality a little bit and teach you how to endure in the present. And we see this happen in verses three and four. Look at verses three and four with me. And as he he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter And James and John and Andrew, four of Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, asked him privately. So they pull Jesus aside and they say, hey, can we have this private kind of conversation with you? And look what they ask him. They say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So you kind of have this awkward moment of Jesus teaching about the future coming of the destruction of the temple, of God's presence going global, God's kingdom coming. And four of his disciples are like, come on, Jesus, come over here. All right, Jesus, we want in on the secret, right? Like everybody wants in on a good secret, right? And they're like, okay, Jesus, tell us when these things are going to happen, And the most shocking thing in the world is that Jesus, in verses 5 through 13, actually totally ignores their request. And rather than like fueling their speculation about the future, he begins to teach them about how to endure as faithful Christians in the present. And he's going to do this by telling us to focus our eyes on two different things. First, in verses 5 through 8, we see this. We focus our eyes on onto the real Jesus. We focus our eyes onto the real Jesus. Now, I know that sounds weird. Let's unpack that in verses five through eight. Read these with me. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I'm he, and they will lead many astray. It's a scary line right there. Verse seven. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed This must take place, but the end is not yet. Verse eight, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth birth pains. Now, like I just said, the most important thing to see 
in these few verses is that Jesus does not begin to feed these disciples signs that are going to lead them into crazy speculation about the future. He actually totally ignores their requests, acts acts like they didn't even ask for the signs of the future, and he begins to tell them how to live faithful Christian lives in the present, or how to endure life in the present. And there's one warning or command that stands as the head of these few verses, and it's this warning found in verse 5. See that no one leads you astray. See that no one leads you astray. Make that personal. Guys, Jesus is telling us, make sure that no one leads you astray. Now, why does he say this? Well, he unpacks it in the next few verses. He says, there are gonna be people We're going to call them Messiah figures who are going to rise up and they're going to say, hey, come and follow me. I'm the one that can create peace in the world. I I am the one who can make your deepest longings become satisfied. I am the one who can create the world that you are longing for. And then in the midst of these Messiah figures rising up, the world is going to fall into chaos. And there's going to be earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and famines. And you see as the world falls into chaos, these Messiah figures are going to feed on this chaos, and they're going to say, hey, come and follow me. I can fix the chaos. And Jesus is coming to us, and he loves us enough to say this. See that no one leads you astray from following me. And so I think this pushes us to ask two questions of ourselves. Pushes us to ask two questions of ourselves. Number one, am I being led astray? Am I being led astray? I think that for honest, our natural tendency is to read this text and go, of course I'm not being led astray. I would never, if some guy stood on the Capitol steps of the Capitol of Colorado and said, I'm the Messiah, follow me. Of course I would say, that guy's a total idiot. Of course I'm not gonna be led astray, but here's the deal, guys. I think that us being led astray will look much more subtle than that. And here's how. I think that the way that the majority of us would be led astray and need to pay attention to Jesus' words is by begin and why we need to pay attention to Jesus' words is by beginning to slowly but surely believe things about God that are not true about God. Let me give you an example. Maybe it's just beginning to believe that God doesn't love you and isn't working for your greatest joy. Maybe that's the first thing that you're beginning to start to believe and you take the step there and then slowly but surely you just start to believe thing after thing after thing after thing until you have been led astray. So the question is, are you being led astray? Are you beginning to believe things about God that are not true? And the question that then that, that works us towards is this. Okay, well, like, I don't want to fall into that. 
So how do I keep from being led astray? How do I keep from being led astray? Two ways. First, know the real Jesus. Let me just ask you this. What's the easiest way to spot a fraud? What's the easiest way to spot a fake? What's well, to know the real thing? Just think about a piece of money. How, how would you know if a piece of money is fraudulent? Well, you have to compare it to the real thing. You have to know what the real thing looks like. So the best way, the best way to keep from being led astray from Jesus is to know the real Jesus. Let me just give you an example about how we can spot a fraud. So Last Monday, Allie and I were flying back from Dallas back to Denver, and we got trapped in the time warp of the airport. Our, our flight just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed, and I had a ton of work to get done while I was sitting at DFW, and I was kind of getting stressed about it, and I said, okay, Allie, I need to go write some of this sermon for Sunday, so I found this uh, booth at the airport, and I hacked into the cabinet underneath the booth, and I found a little power outlet there where I could plug my computer in, so I had my Bible open, and I had my computer up, and I was like, I'm about to start cranking out this sermon, and then something happened. Can we pull that picture up of me at the booth? What you notice here, I'm making a really goofy face, first of all, but what you notice here is that there's this giant question mark above my head, and come to find out, this was the info booth for the DFW airport. And so as I was sitting there working, I started to have person after person after person after person, literally like 30 people came to me and said, hey, sir, can, can you please tell me how to uh, find my flight? Or hey, can you please tell me? The only question that I could actually answer was where the Skylink train was. I would tell people, it's right around the corner to your right. And I would just like act like I was the info person, right? But, I, but after a while, like I started, I started uh, becoming frustrated with these people. And I'm like, okay, why, why do these people keep coming to me? I'm literally... I'm literally sitting here reading my Bible and typing on a MacBook. Do they not know this isn't what a normal info guy does at the airport? And then it hit me. Of course they don't know. Why don't they know? Because they don't know what the real deal looks like, right? They don't know that the real deal info guy at the DFW airport probably wears this super nerdy vest that's yellow with a giant question mark on it. They didn't know that I wasn't the info guy because they didn't know what the real thing looked like. The way to keep from being led astray is to know the real Jesus. And so the question that leads us to then is, okay, how do I know the real Jesus? First, I would say, build rhythms of your, in your life of regular Bible reading. Build rhythms into your life of regular Bible reading. We're walking through the gospel of Mark right now. What I would encourage you to do is as we walk through the gospel of Mark, just continue to walk through it with us. Open up Mark 13, 1 through 13, and just read it this week. The easiest way to know the real Jesus is to read the real Jesus and see what he says about himself. So first, build rhythms into your life of regular Bible reading. Second, Build rhythms or prioritize rhythms in your life of gathering with the church. Build rhythms or prioritize rhythms in your life of regular gathering with the church. 
prioritize gathering on Sundays with the Summit Church and prioritize being plugged into a city group during the week because what will happen is you will just have these two natural rhythms in your week where you are continually pointed to the real Jesus. But not only will you continually be pointed to the real Jesus, you will also begin to have community around you that will keep you from wandering astray. Do not be led astray. How? Know or have your eyes focused on the real Jesus. The second thing that Jesus talks to us about and encourages us with and builds up our endurance with is this. We must focus our eyes onto God's presence in our suffering. Let's look at 9 through 13 together. We must focus our eyes onto God's presence in our suffering. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me really quickly. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, must first be proclaimed to all nations. The natural outflow in these two verses is what we see. The natural outflow of a focus on our bright future that Jesus is bringing about and a focus on the real Jesus is a focus on Jesus' mission. The natural outflow, let me say it again, of a focus on our bright future and a focus on the real Jesus is a focus on Jesus' mission, taking the good news of Jesus to our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, and all the nooks and crannies of this city. But Jesus is pretty honest about in the next few verses that the natural outflow of mission is trial and suffering. Let's look at the next few verses together. Look at verses 11 through 13. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, and brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that's really intense. What's Jesus doing here? He's speaking to a group of followers, his disciples, that he is about to send out into the world to be faithful proclaimers of the good news of Jesus' kingdom. And this group of verses provides, literally provides a commentary on the book of Acts. Almost everything that Jesus says here, not almost, everything that Jesus says here is, he, is preparing these guys for the exact things that they will walk through as they bear witness to Jesus's name, Jesus's fame over the next few years of their life. So Jesus is essentially continuing his exhortation to his disciples 
and his exhortation to us or his encouragement to us not to be led astray. And here's how. He's saying, guys, look, I don't want you to be deceived. Following me is going to be really, really hard. It's going to be hard. But Jesus knows how hard this is going to be for us. You see, I think, I think my fear is, and the fear that I've been working in my heart, through in my heart this week is this, that I think we, and by we I don't mean millennials, but primarily Americans, have grown up in such prosperity and ease that the second things get hard, we say this, I'm out. Like this, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not about suffering because of who Jesus claims to be. And what will happen is we'll just give up. And Jesus is really bluntly rebuking this easy believism in us. Because you see, like while we might not be dragged in front of the governor of Colorado or beaten in Union Station for our faith. In this city, we will be marginalized. We will be, in some ways, discriminated against. And we will be unpopular for who we say Jesus is. And Jesus knows that this is hard And in the midst of this hard teaching, he gives us two encouragements to hang on to that will help us build endurance as we follow Jesus in our city. The two encouragements are this. They're found in verse 11. Let's look at verse 11 together. Verse 11 says this. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Encouragement number one. God is always present with us in our trial and suffering. God is always present with us in our trial and suffering. God does not abandon his people in the midst of suffering, but rather suffering is a good sign of God's presence in your life. Encouragement number one is we endure trial and suffering. God's present with you. He loves you. He knows you. He cares for you. He knows what you're walking through. And he's there. He's there. And as an offshoot of that, there's a second encouragement here. And that is this. Trial and suffering are not a sign of God's abandonment but his active presence in your life. Let me say that again. Trial and suffering are not a sign of God's abandonment, but of his active presence in your life. And this is the sentence that my heart was camping out on this week. And God was working into my heart this week and working out false belief this week. And let me tell you how. I think I had this belief, and I think you guys, I'm projecting myself onto you guys, if that's okay for a second, but I think I had this belief that like as long as I was following God, 
that the, that the road would be smooth, that the, there would be like freshly laid asphalt for me to drive my car on. And that the second I hit a road bump or a wall, it was a sign that God was no longer present and active in my life. But Jesus is saying, nothing could be further from the truth. Trial and suffering is not a sign of God's abandonment, but rather his active presence in your life. Most of the time, when we are encountering opposition, God is doing 10,000 things while we might only be aware of three of them. And so, if that's you, if you're sitting here and you're walking through trial and suffering for the sake of Jesus' fame in the city, for the sake of following Jesus in this city, here's what I would say. God loves you and he cares for you and he hasn't abandoned you and he's going to see you through it. He will not give up on you. So don't give up. Endure. As we close, I want to look at the last sentence of this section of scripture. The last sentence in verse 13 says this. This is why we've been talking about endurance this whole time. Jesus says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And here's what we know about this teaching of Jesus, that this teaching of Jesus does not take place in isolation, but rather it takes place in the midst of a story. And in this story, Jesus not only gives us this teaching, but he goes on to leave, and he goes on to endure suffering and trial and hardship and beating and persecution and ultimately crucifixion. Why? Why did Jesus endure to the end on the cross? Because he loved us and desired to pursue us and he desired to die the death that we deserve so that we might be reconciled to God. And as Jesus calls us to endure trial and suffering, we set our eyes on him who endured trial and suffering on our behalf. And here's what we know. The good news of Jesus, the way we've been loved by Jesus, always fuels action. And we are being sent out of here to love our city, not only our city in general, but our neighbors, our coworkers, and our friends in the same way that we have been loved by Jesus. We will love them, we will pursue them, we will care for them, we will meet their needs, we will give our lives for them. Why? So that their joy might be complete as they know Jesus. And as we do that, Life's going to get hard. But we do that setting our eyes on the bright, bright future that Jesus has out in front of us. We do that setting our eyes on the real Jesus who endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And we do that remembering and focusing our eyes on the fact that God is present with us in our suffering and will not abandon us.
So would you guys pray with me really quick? We're going to talk about how we're going to respond. God, this is a tough text, but I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that you give us hard texts in the Bible to build up our endurance as we try to be faithful witnesses to Jesus in our city. I pray for these people. I pray that as they are released out of here, that they would go as people who are carriers of the name of Jesus into every nook and cranny of this city. And as they bump up against trial and persecution for what they are trying to do, I pray that you would remind them of the bright, bright future that you are going to bring about as you make all things new, as you take away all crying, pain, and suffering, as Revelation 21 says. I pray, God, that you would not let any of these be led astray, but that you would keep them in the faith. And I pray, God, that as we suffer and walk through trial, that we would set our eyes on the truth of your presence with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.